Welcome to the Unleashing AI podcast, hosted by Pavel Fakanov. Join us as we speak with industry experts and explore the wonders of innovative, custom-built AI and how it can help grow your business, whilst also delving into the latest developments in the fields of machine learning and artificial intelligence. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the very first episode of the Unleashing AI podcast. I'm your host, Pavel Fakanov, and joining me today is Valery Babushkin, the current vice president of data science at blockchain.com. Before his role with blockchain, Valery was the senior staff software engineer at Meta, and he also was working as a vice president of machine learning at Alibaba Russia, and also was senior director of data science and engineering at X5 Retail Group, where we actually had a chance to work together with Valery. And Valery, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, Valery, thanks a lot for coming. I'm personally super excited about having you on our podcast. But for people who actually don't know you as good as I do, can you please briefly just give us an idea about your background, about your current role, all of that? So my field of expertise, if you can say so, are machine learning, analytics, and then software engineering and data engineering and data which apparently you can see throughout my work experience, right? It was like VP of data science at blockchain.com, where I lead around the data infrastructure and machine learning structure and data quality and integration to analytics, A-B testing, machine learning, but just application and business intelligence. Or just software engineering I was doing, uh, but still with a hint of machine learning in company formerly known as Facebook, currently known as Meta, who knows what new time will bring in, maybe another name, maybe not. Probably apart from all these things, the one thing I could mention, or two things, is that A, I also competed a lot in machine learning competitions. I achieved Kaggle Competition Grandmaster title at Kaggle, obviously, because it's a Kaggle competition grandmaster anyway. And another thing I'm doing right now, which is very much connected to my work, is that I'm writing the book together with my co-author, Arseni, and the book called The Principles of Machine Learning System Design. And we signed the contract with Manning. It's the second biggest publisher. The largest one is O'Reilly, but probably also have seen Manning usually has covers with people in costumes but that's it no that's amazing and i do think the books that you're working on right now is definitely something that is missing on the machine learning and ai market right now because definitely there are a lot of books about artificial intelligence natural language processing machine learning but there are not that much information about actually building and designing machine learning systems so what you're doing guys is definitely amazing right now Thank you. I hope so. There are a couple of books. For example, there is a book from Chip Fien. Not sure I did pronounce her name and name correctly, but hopefully she would hold no grudge against me for that. And there is also another guy who wrote the book about machine learning design, but they're more like preparing for an interview, while other book trying to help you to be prepared for interview tries to give you a deep dive on how to build system. But we'll see how the public will accept this book pretty soon. So we plan to have an early access, maybe in April 2023. 
and then to have it published somewhere in August or September. But when you're writing the book, you never know what year this September will be. You never know. Hopefully, the year of 2023. Okay, that's amazing. And Valeria, you also mentioned some of the things you're working on right now at blockchain.com. Can you also tell our listeners a little bit more about your responsibilities? What are you doing at blockchain.com? So basically, I'm paid to tell other people what to do. It's probably one of the best jobs in the world, apart from being a data analyst, because as a data analyst, your job is to tell managers what to do, and then they tell other people what to do. So apparently, data analyst is higher in this pyramid. However, I've tried to be more serious. There are many different aspects of my role because it covers everything from infrastructure to the product. So, for example, when I joined blockchain, I realized that an existing data infrastructure wouldn't be able to address all our requirements in 18 months because it wouldn't be able to scale up with us. So it was one of the projects to move to the new infrastructure. And in the meantime, not only to make it 10 times faster, 100 times more scalable, but also 10 times cheaper, which is a sudden side effect. You usually expect something becoming 10 times more expensive after it becomes 10 times faster and 100 times more scalable. Or, for example, trying to build a proper anti-fraud system which we also done, or trying to work on proper infrastructure for business intelligence and for marketing. But everything which might arise in your head when you think about the data is something within the reach of my team. You need to do something with data. This data either have to be stored somewhere, or you have to dig, or you have to find insights, or you have to deploy the model, or you have to answer questions coming from compliance side, or you need dashboards for leadership, all these things. And also, one of my primary goals was to build the system which can maintain all of this, provide all of this, and also can work without my direct overview 24-7. Because if this system can work only with me, probably it's not the ideal system, right? Because then I'm living and they're hopeless. Okay, yeah, that's amazing. Probably like follow-up question I have about that. So you mentioned you actually were responsible for building data infrastructure. And that's amazing that you actually made it like 10 times cheaper than more expensive, how it usually works. Can you give us a little bit more idea about what kind of hires you actually made to achieve that goal? So obviously, when I joined, the team I had at Blockchain Combo was quite small and kind of demotivated because historically, data science within blockchain wasn't very successful until I joined. Actually, I just took these words from a blind. Blind is an anonymous forum where people can share stories. And I just was reading about data science that blockchain was like written out. Historically, it wasn't that successful. So hopefully I changed that. So it's a mixture. You have some people and you have to understand A, what they can do what they want to do, and what do you need, right? As soon as you have those three, you can try to understand who do you need to hire to bridge the gaps you have, because obviously you might have some gaps between what they can and what they want. So I started to hire at the very beginning 
basically, that's a very tricky question because there were so many different teams and different teams were on different maturity levels. So some teams needed extremely senior people who've done this stuff before. Some teams were very happy to receive an intern who might help them with just basic SQL queries, right? So it is very context dependable. There is no one single answer to that because it's not like, oh, I was hiring people who were in fund companies before or I was hiring everybody. No, I mean, that depends. So I knew, okay, for this role, I can hire an intern and then we can work with this intern and then we can see how it goes. Or for example, for this team, for infrastructure team, I have to hire someone extremely experienced who already has built a data lake house or something like that and lead and guide and help. So it's very, very context dependable. Definitely. Okay. Can you give us like an idea again, when you joined, how big was the data team and how big is the data team right now? The data team, when I joined was three people, the data team at its peak became 40 people. So from three people to 40, split into seven sub-teams, like data infrastructure, machine learning infrastructure, data quality integration, ad hoc analytics and A-B testing, then machine learning, then BI, and then some product team. So that was from three people to 40 people within like six to nine months. But probably that's something you've seen back in X5 as well. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's extremely fast growth, like it takes five and basically what's happening at blockchain right now is definitely amazing. Yeah, Valerie, for our listeners who are not that familiar with blockchain.com, can you actually give us like an idea about different products and how exactly you apply AI in that products? So I think that the best analogy is that you can review blockchain.com as a crypto bank. So what does bank do? It takes your money, it provides you some interest on it. It also can keep your money and it uses this to make more money to pay your interest fee and also to make some profit. So we take some money, we then invest this money, we lend them, and also we make money on fees, transactions, etc. And probably one thing which is unique to crypto is that in blockchain.com, you could have both custodial and non-custodial accounts. So what does it mean? Non-custodial account is the thing which available only in the crypto world. So every time when you have money at the bank, it's not your money. It's the money bank gives you an opportunity to use because any moment, any moment, the bank can block your access, freeze, or go bankrupt. Well, we just speaking on the day when Federal Reserve or whoever announced that they bailed out Silicon Valley Bank, right? So it's probably more appealing now than ever. In non-custodial, that means that nobody except for you and nobody has an access for this money. Only you can access them and nobody can prevent you from doing that. Well, I mean, physically people can obviously hold you and ask you different questions than ask your password, etc. But there are no means to preventing you from using your non-custodial wallet. Like you can always send crypto from it, receive crypto on it and do whatever you want. There is a custodial, which is like a basic account, right? So the service is provided by the entity. And so you have to trust on this entity. So that's what we do. So basically you can go to blockchain.com. 
You can buy crypto, you can sell crypto, you can store crypto, both in custodial and non-custodial. You also can deposit the crypto and receive some interest rate, like 2%, 3%, 6.5% for some crypto. Or if you are an institutional client, you can go to blockchain and try to land some money from blockchain.com. That's what you can do with blockchain.com. I haven't answered your question, though, because your question had a second part in it. What is blockchain, as far as I recall, and how do you guys use AI? Right, so the best analogy, at least for me, is a bank. If you know how banks use AI, you have your answer. Obviously, the first thing is anti-fraud, right? Try to understand if this transaction is fraudulent, if you want to block it. If you want to prevent it from going on further, because you have too high fraud, otherwise you might be cut from a payment rails. And also, if you recall that crypto transactions are immutable, so you can't reverse them. So the most of AI we have is concentrated in anti-fraud because it's real-time problem and every transaction has to go through it. Then the rest we have in trading, right? Because trading obviously is also algorithm-heavy business. But we don't do that much of the fancy stuff. I mean, to be honest, not that many companies do, right? So like uh, only a fistful of companies do it anyway. But it is what it is. Yeah, makes sense. I think it's actually going to change pretty soon with all the hype around AI that's happening right now. And I also had like a follow-up question to you about AI applications. Probably I would be interested, like how exactly do you guys apply AI for, let's say, your trading? Is it like for optimization of lending rates? Is it for like your exchange? How exactly does it work? Well, I probably wouldn't go too far here, but every time you try to sell and to buy something, you need to understand a couple of things. What do you want to sell or buy? When do you want to do that? And how much? Right? So basically, there are three questions. Also, as soon as you affect the market by your models, you also have to take that into account. So I wouldn't go too far, but also you try to understand that we have exchange. You try to understand how much liquidity you would need to provide at any given moment, right? You don't want to have too much or too few liquidity anyway. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Actually, in the very beginning, you mentioned that blockchain does have both custodial and non-custodial wallets. And I do have like a follow-up question on that. So with all, let's say, problems that are happening in the crypto market, let's say FTX crash, also Celsius bankruptcy last year, I would be like super interested what has blockchain actually done to make sure that consumers and customers are extremely confident in your services. I mean, you don't have to be confident. That's the thing of the zero trust, right? You have a non-custodial wallet, nothing can happen to it. That's it. So what's the problem with FTX and all this thing is that one of the unique things that crypto has is that you might be non-custodial. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have cash, right? And you keep your cash. And like your cash, obviously, a bank can't freeze it because it's in your pocket, right? So now imagine that instead of having cash, you just give this cash to me and everybody use this cash to me. And now these people hope that I will pay their bills, then the time will come because I'm holding their cash instead of themselves holding that cash, right? And then suddenly I'm telling all these people like, see you later, and I run. 
with all the money, right? Now you can say, oh, cash is a bad thing. I gave all my cash and they run with it. But this is the difference between custodial and non-custodial. You just move your money to some entity instead of hosting it on your non-custodial wallet. So when blockchain.com gives you a choice, you can put your money in our pockets and you trust us and we will pay you some interest on top of that. And you have some benefits. Or if you don't trust, no props. Just use a non-custodial wallet. There is no much you can do with it. But A, nobody can touch it. B, you always can send and receive your crypto to this wallet. It's up to you. So that's why then people are raging about the crypto, but they're using custodial wallet, basically the same thing that, so it's not a crypto problem. Yeah, definitely makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I probably was just wondering, did you guys actually implement non-custodial wallets after all the crashes in the crypto market or it actually happened like way before? Now, Blockchain.com is one of the oldest crypto companies. It is 12 years old and originally it started as a non-custodial wallet. So originally Blockchain was just a non-custodial wallet. Then on top of that, we started to add additional functionality. Okay, makes a lot of sense. And definitely thanks for clarifying that. It's For me, it's super helpful. Probably a follow-up question I have about that is about actual like AI integrations at blockchain. Can you give us like some kind of an example of the recent project with AI applications that you personally were super impressed about? No, because there is nothing I'm super impressed. Again, it's the very mundane things. It's the things I've done many times before. Anti-fraud, all right. Some trading, all right. But it's it's nothing fancy. And those probably are the two most AI-heavy projects in blockchain. So I can't provide you anything that impressed me. Okay, yeah. So probably you have been in the AI space for too long. So like most AI applications don't impress you that much. But yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Probably if you guys implemented, I don't know, like chat GPT or some mid-journey for your product, it would be like... But look, even implementing it is already means that some people have done that and you're just recreating that. It's a good engineering task, but it's nothing fancy, right? You already have all the papers. Basically, come on, you already have weights you can use. So already like people assembled that alternatives to chat GPT. So it's like, however, if you're among the people who created chat GPT, that probably was very exciting and at the same time frustrating because you can imagine how many weeks and months they spent in futile attempt to achieve the results until they finally did it. But it's like a lot of grind anyway. So it's always a lot of grind, but it's exciting. Yeah. And then you're just trying to repeat that and repetition probably is not that exciting. I think it's more about actually finding the right product application for the same technology. At least for me, it's super exciting. That's pretty much what we are doing. See the results from your project is a different thing, right? This is exciting. Yeah. For example, if you are preparing for competition, and you go to the gym and you train, the training is not very exciting. I mean, it's okay. It's something you like to do, but then you compete. And if you won the competition, this is something very exciting, right? So result. Yeah, makes sense. Even though you might try to recreate the training routine from some champ. So it's the same. You're trying to recreate it, and then you achieve the result. And that's what is exciting. Definitely. That's funny you're giving that example, considering your like background in sports, like in competitions, like all of that. 
but it's very similar it's very similar definitely okay in that case probably i would like to ask you a few last questions so let's imagine you had a chance to invite anyone from the ai world on a lunch who would it be well, the first guy who comes into my mind is Jeffrey Hinton because the guy has done so much. And the thing is that he's constantly trying to work on something new, right? He tried to revolutionize the world with the capsule works. Apparently didn't work, but I would love to hear his point of view, his take on what's going on. But that's probably number one. Also, if you have a very troll-like sense of humor, you might try to invite Jürgen Schmidhuber who will tell you that all that is like hyped now, he invented 20 years ago, right? Like, okay, oh, guys, the stuff you, you're doing right now, my lab, we've done it in 1995, so you can look at our paper. Oh, this is Alex just from our paper from 1996. So the guy who invented everything 30 years ago, but it probably would be Jeffrey Hinton. I'd like to have his combat, especially with his well of experience. I know that many people who are... 40 or 50 years in this field. Yeah, that's amazing. Definitely. And what would you chat about? Yeah, I would try to listen to him. I would ask him what his take on what's going on. What does he think would be the next thing? And uh, what is he working on at the moment? So I'd like to know what's he doing. Okay, makes sense. And yeah, last question. Can you tell us about one piece of AI in your everyday life that you just cannot live without? What have you incorporated like so aggressively in your life that you cannot live without it? I mean, probably my smartphone, right? Which has a lot of AI inside from camera to different alarms and clocks and maps. So I would say smartphone, which is like a pinnacle, which just a box containing everything. Not the answer you probably expected, but it's like my smartphone. <laughs> okay, makes sense. Valery, thanks so much for coming. I particularly enjoyed the part you mentioned about different AI applications at blockchain.com. And I do think it also can be super useful for other businesses out there. So they can just take your examples and inspiration and also implement AI for their businesses. But with that being said, thanks a lot. I did enjoy the conversation a lot. And thanks a lot for sharing your wisdom with our audience. Likewise, thank you very much for inviting and hopefully it's not the last time. Thanks. The Unleashing AI podcast is brought to you by Unleashing AI. To find out more about Unleashing AI and how innovative, custom-built AI can help your business, visit unleashing.ai. Also, make sure to search for Unleashing AI in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Unleashing AI, Thank you for listening.